This podcast is brought to you by Minimal Productions. Producer Jim Mintz. Bail is refused. You're out of order! If it pleases the court. To adopt this affirmation, please say the words, I do. I do. Nothing further from this court. Given the serious nature of this offence, this case is dismissed. Welcome to The Weeks. I'm your host, Jim Minns. This week's episode is on BA versus The King 2023 HCA 14, a high court judgment on whether a person who breaks into a house and assaults their domestic partner is guilty of the offence of break and enter under New South Wales law, in circumstances where they had to move out but are still on the lease. In the context of the case, The Weeks have a broader discussion about domestic violence offences. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Weeks. It's great to have you back for another week on the show. Mayor Kirkasharian. Jim. Welcome. Felicity Graham. Mr. Jim Mins. Welcome. Great to be here. Great to be here. Stephen Lawrence, MLC. James, good to be here. Love it. I love it. Remember our last week's joke. It's good. Or the week before is wherever this one goes to where. Right. Lots to talk about. Swift wigs. I know we're not officially calling that. I'm just keeping the audience abreast of the format as we go forward. Who's got today? Am I bound to call him? Am I bound to call you your honour now that you're honourable? It's an interesting question. Yeah. So all MLCs have the title Honourable. Yes. Everyone seems to use it apart from the Greens who have a sort of, I don't know if it's a party policy, but they all don't use it. In the lower house, people or members only use it if they're a minister. Can I just... Or only have it if they're a minister. However... Sorry, but all upper house. All upper house have it. And it's a legacy, I think, of the fact that the Legislative Council was first formed as a form of executive government or advising the governor. Mm-hmm. So they gave them all the title honourable. And I think honourable normally is a reference to a minister or a judge more commonly, mm-hmm. which I think is why those upper house people got it. Well, superior, so Supreme Court and Superior Court justices get honourable. Get honourable. The lower ones yeah, don't. They don't. Yeah. And ministers get it, but ordinary members of the lower house don't get it. Yeah. yeah. Well, but in terms what of What about whether, shadow ministers? Do they get it? They don't get it. <laughs> right. But in terms of whether you, I don't think the con- I don't think the appropriate way to use it is to say your honour. I think that's maybe just a court thing. Yeah. I've never heard a minister called your honour. I have heard ministers called honourable, but that was in Solomon Islands. Mate, it's growing. <laughs> Can I just <laughs> clap right now? And we're, we're cutting bit, this whole. No, no, bit. the bit that's been cut out, ladies and gentlemen, uh, related to an act of defamation by Jim. And I've, <laughs> anyway, and, and I've I've apologised, but the apology wasn't good enough. So we pre- proceed. <laughs> With the non-defamation edit of today's episode. <laughs> That's right. Felicity Graham. Well, actually, it's right over to... Manuel Kukasharian. Kukasharian. Right. B.A. and the King. B.A. and the King. Uh... Which I just really want to sing in the Beauty and the Beast song voice. B.A. Yeah. and the King. Yeah. I like yeah. it. Uh, 2023 High Court of Australia 14. On the 10th of May this year, the High Court made a decision in a matter uh, concerning B.A. Um, B.A and the complainant in the matter were co-tenants of an apartment in Queanbeyan. There was a residential tenancy agreement. Both of them were signatories to that agreement. Um, It was under the Residential Tenancies Act of 2010, New South Wales. They separated. BA moves out. Uh, He gives up the keys to the place, or at least one of the two keys that he needs to access the place, but he remains on the lease, so he remains the co-tenant at law. Anyway, one day he turns up and he seeks access to the premises. Uh, The complainant refuses him access. So long and short of it, he kicks down the door, kicks the lock so hard that it punches out the door frame. Um, The deadlock kind of shatters the frame of the door. 
goes inside, grabs the complainant by the shoulders, shakes her, yells her, grabs her mobile when she tries to make a call and throws the mobile on the floor. So a pretty hectic act of domestic violence, particularly the breaking aspect of it, really. Especially when you've moved out. Yeah, especially when you moved out, right? There's a bit of a difference, isn't there? I mean, it's all horrible. Yeah. You know, regardless of the law on this, which, you know, you'll come to, which is pretty interesting, there's an even more invasive aspect when you've actually moved out. And when you come back, you're told, no, you can't come in. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And you break. Like, again, so it's all – even the breaking of the door is an additional kind of thing there, right? So – it's not just my house isn't secure. I can't just. It's it's like my house isn't secure. It can be broken in. I'm not safe anywhere. Like that'd be pretty frightening. So, what's he charged with? He's charged with property destruction and intimidation and assault, relating to all the things that he did. But he's also charged with aggravated break and enter. Now, the aggravation being the use of corporal violence, which is probably self-evident. Kind of, we don't need to talk about. Uh, but so breaking into his own house breaking into his own mm-hmm. house well the house that he sort was of. sort of mm. and that's, that's the issue that's mm. the issue that the High Court was on about so he's tried Judge Alone in front of just uh, Judge Williams SC in the District Court and Judge Williams at half time directs an acquittal in the breaking into charges this is going to be on every conveyancing law student's next round of case studies for sure it's very practical and important this case so um and in light of that directed acquittal ba actually changes his pleas and pleads guilty to the common assault the intimidation and the property damage so did that did those is that the order that it happened he didn't plead at the outset no i think that i think that's right i think he didn't plead at the outset i think he waited um in any event, the Crown appeals the acquittal because it was a directed verdict on a question of law alone by a judge alone. There's an appeal available. There ordinarily isn't an appeal available from acquittals. Sorry, one um, more thing procedurally. Yeah. With a common assault, intimidation and damaged property charges, related charges on a 166 certificate, in other words, the district court was seized of jurisdiction as if it were exercising the summary jurisdiction of the local court? I think, I don't know for sure. It, they may have, the other offences may have been on the indictment, but I think they were backups. Yeah, Related offences. Related offences, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah because yeah. if you're convicted of aggravated break and enter, then you're convicted of break enter with intention to commit, right? Yeah. So you normally wouldn't have both. Well, you de- so the property damage would be taken care of. Yeah. And the alleged third act of the, or the alleged third element of the break and enter was intimidation. So yeah, that would yeah. have been taken care yeah, of as yeah, well. Yeah. I'll come to that. So, Crown appeals to the CCA, where unanimously uh, the judges overturn the directed verdict. Uh, and then BA appeals to the High Court, which by a bare majority upholds the appeal and it divided into two judgments. So he wins. So mm-hmm. he wins. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you can't break into your own home. Can't if, break you, if, you're, if you're on the title lease. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I think it's worth giving a fair bit of background about breaking into generally before we get into the, the um, judgment of the High Court. Breaking into is in many senses an anachronistic offence. Most jurisdictions, if not all, around Australia 
have replaced it with a form of burglary. Yeah, like trespass with intent trespass, to steal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, in the ACT, so burglary, which carries 14 years, the elements are trespass with intent to steal generally or something else. Something like that. Yeah. Larceny? So there's no concept of break imported into it, which as Manny, I'm sure, is about to talk about. He's got all these esoteric aspects to it. Yeah. Is that in- inserted in there, larceny? Well, la- That's so, stealing. So That's in- involved? In New South yeah, Wales... Yeah, that can be the completed offence or the intent oh, okay, sorry, yeah, aspect, yeah. aspect. You have to have... So th- we, we all talked about break and enter being a crime, but actually I can break the door of your house and enter it, and I'm guilty of trespass, which carries a $400 fine or something like that, and of the damage to your door, mm. but nothing more. Uh-huh. T- the offence of break and enter has to have committed with it or have committed with it or have the intention at the time of committing a serious indictable offence. That is an offence that carries yeah. five years or more imprisonment. So normally, the, the kind of one that immediately comes to mind is larceny carries seven years imprisonment, break and enter, steal. Right? Five that, years. Larceny carries seven. Five. No, I carry Look seven, it up. I think. Yeah. So yeah. the... Two years for every... Rare year. error, rare unforced error oh, there oh, by Felicity Graham. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so, <laughs> so, do we, do we make the question going forward? Is do we edit that? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Convince the jury yeah, on whether or not she's coming to the silence will we'll take Let's that just wait for her to get to section 117. <laughs> uh, and could you read it out, Stephen Lawrence? Just, Holy who commits larceny or any indictable offence by this act made punishable like larceny shall. Except in the cases here and after, otherwise provided for, be liable to imprisonment for five years. When did that happen? Five, yeah, five is the going. Forever. Five is the going oh, rate. You yes. thought it was seven. I thought you? it was seven too. There is a seven. You guys somewhere. are ACT people. I mean, no, no. no. mate. Larceny has been. Well, this part's been edited out there. No way, mate. Not convinced. I'm afraid. Are you serious? Sorry, but you were convinced. I thought it was seven too, mate. Isn't that interesting? I think it must be something. I think that was a pylon. Has it? It was. It was. It was a reverse pylon. You flipped it. But has Everyone it been, went on you, and now has it has been that. Stop no. pulling us, Felicity. Move okay, on. Whatever. If we edit that out, <laughs> we are no, not no, editing that out. If that stayed in, then we're, then we're keeping my defo in. We are dumb. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, I'll yeah. leave it to you, but the uh, defo's out. <laughs> totally anyway, basic. so you have to have a serious indictable offence. So the common one is stealing, larceny, but it could be anything. So often what's charged with domestic violence situations is intimidation, which carries five years as its maximum penalty. Oh, can we look that up? We're sure. Kidding. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, but it's a bit weird, right? It's a bit weird because it's kind of like the break and enter offence with the intimidation. So break and enter and common assault would not be a break and enter offence, right? Because common assault is not a serious indictable What's offense. the maximum penalty? Oh, come on. We could do this. It's now two years. I remember, I'm old enough to remember when it was one year unless on indictment. Um, so what's interesting is, is that intimidation, which in certain circumstances can include conduct which is far less than assault, drags the break and enter charge in. And so, I mean, we can talk about law reform maybe a bit more at the end, but it seems to me that the break and enter offence needs a bit of an update. Mm, definitely. And whether or not that includes mm. something as special for domestic violence or whether there really needs to be another offence that governs this kind of scenario that's 
independent of burglary because it's not really burglary. It's 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 the violence that includes the breaking of the door. Mm. That's the sort of real part of the crime that Nastiness we're trying to punish. That, yeah, that's what we're trying it's to do. It's probably worth, worth talking about break as well because that itself imports all of these artificial distinctions, right? Yeah, and so the break does not require the actual breaking of any object, right? But an infringement of the integrity of the security of the house. Mm. So to enter or depart an open door or window is not breaking, right? Um, if the door is already open and you further open it, that's also not breaking. But Except if, it, if it's fixed by a... Yeah. yeah. It's, but if a there's latch. one of those little latch. latches oh, yeah. or it's completely closed... Then it is a break, yeah. which elevates the criminality in terms of the available maximum penalty greatly. Are any of you addressing the fact that the bloke was on the lease, though? Like that's we're coming to that. We're coming to that. Gotcha. We're, coming mm. to we're just done. talking now about the offence itself or Dumb. the offences. And just Dumb. how complicated it is, right? So, so for example... And you so can break... You can go in the front door, which is open, but if you open a door inside the house, that can be a break. Mm. That's right. That's and the logic there, I guess, is you're sitting in your lounge room... You've got the lounge room door shut, but the front door open. There's some greater invasion of your castle if someone comes in and opens the lounge room door, because that's the that's the part of the house that you have closed off and sealed yeah. that they're violating. And in fact, the, the history of this event goes back to mansions, like the great manor houses, is where this came out, and it's the, precisely that sort of thing. Those houses had people in and out of them all of the time. And so that's why these kind of finer distinctions came about. There's also a constructive mm, that's break. Interesting, yeah, right? It? So, yeah. you know, you would have in the house of some lord, you would have plenty of people walking in and out. And they're the drafters of the original uh, offence. Yeah. So you can also have a constructive break. Fraud. So if you lie your way in. Threats. Uh, the use of a key that you are otherwise not permitted to use. Um, but if you're given permission without trickery, then there's no break and enter, right? Um, even if at the time of entry you intend to do something bad, it's not break and enter because you've been given permission to enter, right? So uh, Judge Williams SC basically decides the tenancy agreement granted the accused a right of occupation, and so there's no trespass, and so there's no offence. The conventional analysis, I always believe that. Um, now, interestingly, in the district court, the Crown had run the line that it was irrelevant to the offence whether the appellant had sort of legal permission to enter the apartment, and the Crown never alleged that the appellant was, as a matter of fact, not in occupation of the apartment. The High Court kind of... It's not clear what the High Court said about that, whether or not the Crown basically tried to skirt that, and I'll, it's not clear, but... Um, they didn't contest that in the CCA, uh, but they did argue that the rights were limited by Section 51 of the Retail Tenancies Act. And what that provides is you can't destroy stuff if you're a retail tenant, right? You can't break a door. And so the Retail right. or residential? It, it, bra- it's uh, resident, yeah, uh, residential tenancies Act. Yeah, residential yeah, residential, yeah. residential sorry, yeah. So basically the argument goes you're not allowed to break things you broke things, therefore you didn't have a right to enter in that way, therefore you broke and you're guilty of the offence. And that's the way Justice Adamson dealt with it in the Court of Criminal Appeal. Just to unpick that a bit, yeah. so that's interesting in the sense that a break can be opening a door. So the upshot of that argument is 
if you open the door to your own house and bash someone, you can be potentially guilty of break, enter, and commit indictable offence or with intent to commit. So that's almost an argument that... Isn't it more to do with, say, if you open the door and then walk into your bedroom and kick a hole in the wall? Yeah, sure. But the issue is you don't have to have a violent breaking of the house. This is about the damaged property being... Oh, so it was the relevance of the tenancy provision that it uh, that it stops you from damaging the property. That's correct. So therefore, you're in breach of the lease. Correct. Therefore, your permission's withdrawn. That's right. Right, okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So the two other justices on the CCA, Justice Brereton and Justice Fullerton, um, Justice Brereton kind of said, well, it's break if you enter without the consent of the quote-unquote actual occupant of the property... And Justice Fullerton said it's break if made without the permission of those in occupation of the premises. That is, say, everyone who's in occupation of the premises. If you don't have the consent of all of them, you're not allowed in. So you can lock out your house, mate, basically. Well, that's right. I mean, that's that's mm. think Which, about a shared house. Mm. That doesn't work, does it? Well, no, I don't think it works. It's a bit weird. Um, the, I'll come to what the High Court said about that in dissent. Um, but you can have a, a lease without... You could have a verbal lease and that would create a situation where it may, yeah. I mean, somebody that could might have just a verbal agreement with someone against the knowledge of the other housemates and the other ha- housemates come home and they've locked this stranger out. Well, I don't know if that would give you a right to enter a verbal lease with one housemate. It might not. Can you have a verbal lease? You can. You can have a two-week verbal lease. I think really? that's def- legal. There's a default. I think you can definitely – the Residential Tenancies Act can apply to a situation that is unwritten, I think. Yeah, right. I think so, yeah. And, you know, we could be in a house right now. Flick leaves the room. Manny rocks up. I have Manny do a deal with Manny. He can stay for a month. Flick, Flick walks back in the room. Manny's here. She kicks him out. What happens then? Mm. Well, nothing, Everyone's legal. Right? Nothing. That's kind of a different question because we're still talking about the answer to these questions in the context of a break and enter offence. Right? We're not talking about the right to access property, which is subtly different. <clears throat> right? okay, okay. So I think what Justices Burden and Fullerton were saying is you're guilty of breaking part of the break and enter if you don't have the consent to enter. So we're moving away from classic notions of trespass for the commission of this offence to this other notion of what trespass would amount to for the purposes of this offence. Now, the High Court majority said, this is uh, Justices Gordon, Edelman, Stewart and Gleeson, they said that the Crown, quote, did not seek to defend the totality of the reasons of mm. the Court of Criminal Appeal uh, and was were correct to do so. Uh, and then said, but instead, quote, the Crown put different arguments, but ones which must also fail. Uh, the majority noted that there's always been a need to break both as a question of fact, but also a question of law. That is to say, it's not the break is not just the physical thing. It's a, it's a question of law as to whether or not you've broken it. They were cited at Coach Institutes from 1644 and Hale's Pleas of the Crown in 1778, um, and in, Hale had written that it cannot be burglary for a person to break open their own house. Um, they go through a whole bunch of examples. Basi- I mean, the Crown tried to argue that you can break into your own house, mm, yep. didn't they? Because yeah. of the 
the way that the term or that the statute includes any dwelling house. Mm. That's right. That's Yeah, that's right. So Which they, is sort of interesting because you can't damage your own property, but you can damage property belonging to yourself own. and another. Mm. Yeah. And the damage property provision is very express in relation to that. And so the term any dwelling house, I can see how the Crown kind of said, oh, let's let's run this, but the High Court did more of a deep dive than the Crown. Yeah, it's a question of research, I think. The, the High That's Court's right. research kind of said, well, this phrase any dwelling house drops in and out of the offences from time to time, but never means what the Crown says it means. It's yeah. just a, you know, a few words that have been chucked in. Um, they gave some interesting examples. For example, if I let you stay in my house when you were travelling... I can come and go into your room as much as I please, um, and it's n- and I'm not guilty of B and E if I walk into your room and steal your phone charger, right? They don't give the phone charger, but that's an example. Um, I'd only be guilty of larceny. Um, so, Flick, you've already covered the dwelling house argument. The other argument, and another argument that they put, that it was an offence against occupation rather than legal title. Uh, High Court said that was inconsistent with authority. So, if you go to the shop. And your flatmates stay at home, yeah. they're in occupation, but you're not, yeah. when they lock you out when you come back from the shop. Was that the Crown's argument? In effect, yeah. that was that was what the Crown, in effect, was... The, I mean, they didn't put that argument. But the, the, um, the dissent said they highlighted borderline cases and basically said there, there may well be such cases and they just turn on their facts. But in this case, it was stark. Right, it was clear that he didn't have permission of the only single other occupant who's the only other person on the lease. So and they those, say, yeah. you know, maybe if you'd been kicked out half an hour before, yeah. ma- maybe that's a different scenario. Maybe that engages this issue. What did the but, majority do with the 50A provision of the Residential Tenancies Act? Well, what they point out is that the Act provides for the consequences of that breach. Yeah. So you go in front of the tribunal. It doesn't invalidate the whole lease. It doesn't invalidate yeah. the whole lease. Yeah. Yeah. And, this, yeah, and this is this old-fashioned distinction between a licence and a lease. Because otherwise if you're behind in your rent or something or you haven't kept a, I don't know, a rent ledger or something, you could be in breach of the lease and therefore all your rights disappear. Yeah. That can't be right. Because the tribunal the determines your rights ultimately, surely. Yeah. But, I mean, it, you can't have someone being permitted to be locked out of their house because they've broken a window, hmm. you know. Um, and that's really what we're talking about. Someone breaks a window to go in or breaks a door to get in. So basically they said if you've got a lease, you have a right to enter whatever you have a lease over, even if you've never entered it before, uh, and that is against all occupiers and everyone else except so, there's no better title than yours if you're the lessor. Uh, Lessee, Lessor, whichever one it is. Jim? Lessee. Lessee, thank you. Um, So that was it. That was basically what the High Court said. They said... I'd agree with that. Yeah, totally. This is a really important case, I reckon. I've done so many, I reckon, I don't know how many. I've done a lot of break and enter and light cases where this question of proprietorial rights comes into it. Consent a, consent and, and I remember doing this case, which is not a break and enter case, but it was a it was an assault case where a couple had split up, they still owned a property together, he'd moved out or she'd moved out, I can't remember which. 
They had a whole bunch of property left at the house, which was joint property, clearly joint property. She came to the house one day to attend to like upkeep of the garden or something. He was putting some of this joint property in a truck to take it away in circumstances where it was joint property. They got into like a tug of war over this piece of property. So they're on either end of it. She's trying to stop him putting in the truck and taking away and it's joint property. There was no short trial that it was joint property. She then scratches his hand in the course of that tug of war and he said that it was intentional. That was also an issue. But the fundamental issue that I put up to the magistrate was defence of property. So I ran this sort of argument that that was joint property. His conduct was inconsistent with her proprietorial rights because he's taking it away from the jointly owned property. She's entitled to resist that what became a trespass against her property rights. And so that's another sort of example of how proprietorial rights can become the issue in the context of proof of a criminal offence. But it's even more heightened with break and enter, I think, because of notions of dishonesty and consent and trespass mm. that are this sort of inevitable part of it all. Do you remember that case we did out in Broken Hill where our client went into a house because he thought it was his drug dealer's yeah, house? Yeah, I do. Yeah. But the drug dealer had moved yeah. and it was no longer that house. And he said he knocked on the door and that he heard someone yell out, come in which the victim didn't agree to. So mm. that was a bit of a problem for us in terms of evidence. But the more fundamental issue was we tried to get the judge to direct the jury that there's a mental element in relation to a lack of consent mm. because we were trying to, and we couldn't call him, which is a bit of a problem, but we mm. were trying to put the case that he didn't believe that he wasn't able to enter. That was sort of basically our defence, mm. which kind of raised the same issue about, in that case, a sort of acquiescence to entry that he said was established, mm. even though the drug dealer had moved. And this really lovely lady had moved in the poor thing, remember? She was mm. very shocked by his arrival in her house. So I, I think I, I, I rather, there's going to be some pressure, I think, in like this judgment's about a month old or less than a month old. I think there'll be some pressure for some law reform around mm. breaking into They need to review the whole mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. I think, I mean, there's they. McClock, McClock, yes, they, <laughs> um, the, the, the honourable members. The uh, McClock, the, there's the old, there is a draft for a model. Yeah, on property offences, yeah. Property offences. Model Criminal Code Law Officers Committee. Yeah. Is that, is that what McClock law, That's for? right. And yeah. they added law when they realised what the, for a long time the acronym didn't have the word law in it. And they added the word law when they realised what the acronym was without it, which I'll leave to the listener. Uh, (laughs) See, that's a true story if you go back to the early reports. Uh, But um, it occurs to me that I think think break and enter is old and needs to be tidied up. But there really is a need for a domestic violence indictable offence. Right, that's not the coercive control offence, which is an indictment. But I think there should be a fifteen-year or fourteen-year maximum offence of domestic violence. So trespass, which what? involves the commission of a DV offence. I don't know. I mean, why I would mean, you tie even, it with break? It's just ridiculous. Why would you tie it yeah. with break? And I think it should be focused on. I mean, imagine saying to a complainant, "Look, I'm really sorry, but you left your door open. Yeah, right. you left your door open." So therefore, or he we're was only going to charge lease, him with assault, even though he'd moved out a year ago. Yeah, you shouldn't leave your door open. Yeah. It's even slightly ajar. Sorry, you're and not a victim. And it's such it's a crazy. big problem. I mean, one of the biggest problems with people not reporting 
and not following through with domestic violence reports is that they're bound to live with the person. Yeah. Right? And the likely consequences of it all. Yeah. yeah. You know? I mean, there's some accommodation, obviously, for the seriousness of it in the sentencing law that aggravates the circumstances because the offences happened in a home. Mm. So that is sort of encapsulated, or that, that elevates, I guess, a scenario like this in the way that a sentencing decision maker will look at it. Mm. Did the home invasion offences have break as an element? You know the specialist home invasion offences? Are this, aren't they just sort of specially aggravated? So they still require a break? Are you talking about New South Wales offences? Yeah, you know the New South Wales home invasion offences? Do they all have break as a foundational element? There is the enter there with intent. There are some enter with intent. Enter with intent, there yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. So and that doesn't know. require a break, right? No. no. Yeah. And what's and the intent? And I think that carries seven years, doesn't it? Um, I think it's more controversial. But I wouldn't want to <laughs> cast oh, yeah, any doubt upon no, your no, speculation. Uh, 1141D, isn't it? Yeah. Can I just use this opportunity to correct a mistake that I was guilty of? I'm not sure that the uh, verbal agreements, which are legal, yeah, uh, whether there is a two-week threshold on whether or not they are effective. I think they can be for the life of the lease, but it's at the discretion of the landlord right. to put it in writing if they do so wish. Yeah, I don't think they've got to be in writing. They I think you can just be. become a tenant through yeah. that, that happening. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the Whigs would recommend that you do get your... Yeah, Absolutely. seven years, one one four one day. So what's the elements of that offence? Enter or remain in or upon any part of a building or any land occupied or used in connection <clears throat> therewith with intent to commit an indictable offence in or upon the building. What's enter and commit, though? Uh, I think that is one one one. Enter any dwelling house. Oh no, that's with ten intent, years. and then yeah. So that takes away the break. Aspect. Is fourteen years. Yeah, yeah. So that's the offence I was thinking about. So whoever enters any dwelling house with intent to commit a serious indictable offence therein, which is defined as an offence that carries five years or more, I think. So that's sort so of what you were talking about, Maddie, isn't it? In terms could of have been charged offense? with this, don't you think? But how do you prove the intent? Years. I mean, it's the same as. The, well, intent to, ten, intent to intimidate. But also, what not there a complexity around proving intent in those situations? Because you've got to have it when you enter. Yeah. May or may not be, but if you're, you're smashing there. the door down Yeah, well, then it's going to be clear, but it won't always be like that. Sometimes it's just he just came home late and flogged me. So are you talking about entering dwelling house? Yeah, 111. And if it's aggravated, which this was, that is a 14-year offence. So why didn't they charge that? I don't know, but I sort of think that sometimes the issue is not whether or not we have offences. Like the the break issue, sure, there's some tidying up that could happen there, but I don't necessarily think that we need new offences with higher maximum penalties. I think sometimes in the domestic violence space it's about matters that could be run on indictment actually being run on indictment. So I actually think that – I actually think – well, I agree with that, particularly with Intimidate with its five years – but I think and there's assault occasioning actual bodily harm, five years. You know, yeah. th- there's these offences that are routinely run in the local court. Yeah, although I, I think that there should be, like one way of doing it, and this would be very controversial, but you could provide 14 years for the intimidate offence on indictment and then have the serious matters go up. I mean, if we're serious about... Or you could have aggravating factors connected to an intimidation. Yeah. You know, like Breaking. where you're trespassing as well. Yeah. Right. And that, that or something like that. 
that catapulted into that, and, and but do it on indictment and force it, like make them strictly indictable so that they're not just washed out in the local court, which they will invariably will be because the police will just whack them on and, and I understand there's pressures. But Well, this is the broader issue that flows from the fact that the large majority of DV prosecutions in New South Wales are prosecuted by the police who aren't lawyers and, and aren't really specialist prosecutors. Yeah. And victims and complainants don't really get great service from them by and large compared to what they would from lawyers, in my opinion. Mm. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I, you know. As I said in my inaugural speech. And what was mentioned last recording. Yeah. Well, I think it, I mean, one of the things that could easily be done is there could be funding for the DPP to run more of these on indictment as a starting point. I mean, any intimidation that, like, you could have a rule that any second count of intimidation the DPP is going to take up. That'd be a good starting point. I mean, I am not in favour of blanket rules like that, mm. but. Well, no, as a I starting think... point. Not, you know, it doesn't have to be. A, they're going to consider it. Every second one is referred to the director sure. for consideration. I mean, it's a funny offence intimidation, and it's <clears throat> because of the intention to make the person fear physical or mental harm and the way that intention in that context is defined, which can be almost a strict liability type situation. Mm. I think intimidations of it's a strange offence in New South Wales. It covers such a broad range of conduct. Mm. Um yeah, and it's often not a DV situation, right? Mm. Very often. Yeah, even though it's in the DV Act. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's often charged outside of it. Which yeah. Domestic and Personal Violence Act, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's a funny offence, I think. I think that could do with some reworking, that offence. But I think you're right, Manny. There would be room for a more serious offence that covers a situation where you commit a domestic violence assault in somebody's house. Yeah, I don't even think... I, I, I mean, for my part, I would like to see common assault, but like domestic violence assault mm. rather than common assault, yeah. and that have a heaps higher maximum penalty and be strictly indictable. And if the police want to charge it, they can, and if they don't, they can charge the common assault. But if we are serious, if we're talking about repeat offenders, let's do them properly on indictment and let's have serious penalties imposed because... I think there's been a lot of headway in the domestic violence space, but perhaps we've reached the limit of what we can do with run-of-the-mill little local court prosecutions and laws, sentencing laws that say to magistrates, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, lock them up a bit, but, you know, they're still reasonable. It's like, if we're serious about this, let's have a serious offence on the books that's heavy. It'd be interesting think- to think about the deterrent, how deterrent theory <clears throat> applies in DB. Like, you know how we talk about how in white-collar crimes there's room for general deterrence because they're very conniving crimes generally and sort of people make a assessment of their prospects of getting away with it and will often commit it because they think they can or because the penalties aren't so high, like they're kind of quite discerning offenders. Mm-hmm. And then you might compare that to something like knife brawls in Western Sydney or some other place involving young people that at the moment are such an issue and you might say that deterrent theory is not really going to address those sorts of common situations because you're dealing with a cohort of offenders that are much less likely to to think about the consequences of things. I wonder how this applies in recidivist DB circumstances where there's an ongoing relationship that's marred by offending on a regular basis, which is a very common mm. kind of attribute of you know a lot of these DB cases that come before courts. 
How would you apply deterrent theory in that situation? Like, does it have some room because it is an ongoing relationship? I want to do a whole episode on deterrence theory. Yeah. And how it operates in sentencing and with criminal offences that exist or don't exist and how it actually affects behaviour. Because I think we've got a fundamental problem with our system that relies on this often fallacy of deterrence. And it's attractive as an idea, it's intuitive that if you increase the penalty, that's going to deter more behaviour, and I just don't think that the evidence is there for it in so many circumstances. I think if you go to the pub and you say, where's Bill, and Bill's doing a six-month lag for bashing his missus, that's not going to have a deterrent deterrent effect. I think if he's doing six years, then it will. And the current laws don't permit the six-year sentence. Right? I think Except you've got to extreme case. And you've got to break it down. Minimums. No, no. I'm just saying, if you know, like, there are still, and it's mainly women, but also some men, but mainly women who are getting bashed up every other day, and whatever we're doing isn't stopping it. Yeah, but I don't think right? that the criminal law is necessarily going to be the panacea to that social problem which is much vexed and needs a lot of attention but not just a call for greater punitive approaches in the criminal law. Well, I'd I'd like to explore this in such an episode. I believe that the prevalence of murder and sexual assault, say, is affected by the fact that we are all deterred to varying degrees by the fact that we know that jail is inevitable. So let's imagine a scenario where we lived in a society where murder and rape carried good behaviour bonds and fines. I think those offences would be more common, right? I think we're deterred by the fact that we all have a collective understanding that you go to jail for those offences. Yeah, so that's an example of deterrence, It's a very right? jurisprudential conversation yeah. that we're it's having It's drifted here. in that direction, hasn't it? Sure but is. then when you move into the terrain of incremental <coughs> variations to penalties mm. for particular offences that may or may not carry jail, then I think you're getting into shakier ground in terms of any work for deterrence in a real sense. But what I was interested interested in and that made me pose this comment was how does that play out in the context of an ongoing relationship marred by domestic violence? Yeah, and this is the other point that I wanted to make just before is let's say you shift the focus of the system so that more domestic violence prosecutions are going up on indictment in whatever form that takes by way of charges, whether existing charges or whether there's some new offence created that results in that procedural consequence. What's What interaction is that going to have with the circumstances of these types of relationships in terms of the time frame? Because is there a value in having domestic violence matters prosecuted largely in a summary jurisdiction on account of the fact that that means that they can be dealt with much more quickly they have a practice note in New South Wales that says hearings should be listed on the first mention when there's a plea of not guilty. They should be done ideally within a matter of um, three months or so given priority in the listing arrangements. As soon as you prosecute those matters on indictment, you're turning that from a weeks to months proposition to a up to years proposition, two, three years in some circumstances given the backlogs. What does that do to then the 
circumstances of these types of relationships which can fluctuate over time in terms of a person's willingness to participate as a complainant in those proceedings? Yeah, don't forget that, that most people plead, but... In the local and, court. And, sure. Well, yeah. But, uh, look, that, so what you're saying is, uh, are people going to complain if they know that their husband's going to go to jail for a long time? I mean, I think some may or and some, some may, may, some may be less not. likely. And, and are they going to stick with the process if they know it's going to take two to three years? Well, I think they will stick with the process. I think generally... I think people will. Yeah, what well, does drag out the process? I mean, yeah. a lot of people don't stick with the process, but, but I mean, time's not always the key factor. That's not. That's no reason not to do it. I mean, that's a problem with the criminal justice system as a whole that needs to be fixed. I think the danger of doing it the way that we do with police officers who simply take a chance that are recorded on video and do no further investigation, nothing happens. It's just not enough, right? And. I, it seems to me that there's a trade-off too because you're having all of these sort of – you have these many cases that are unprepared and unthought out being run in the local court, whereas you will have fewer in the district court, but they will result in higher penalties and therefore f- less domestic violence. I mean, I don't know whether what we do stops domestic violence at all because you can just return to the relationship, you know? Anyway. that Yeah, it's, it's a whole vexed. separate episode, isn't it's it? But yeah. it's yeah, and let's get some statistics and get some kind of data, look at the Boxar stuff, look at... I, I think we should do an episode mm. on deterrence and maybe particularly with a focus on domestic violence. I think that would be really interesting. I think what I said before sort of conflated specific and general deterrence in a sense, but I was sort of talking about both. Like, you're in an ongoing relationship, so any sentence might specifically deter you, but some awareness that you might have about heightened maximum penalties because the relationship is ongoing, you also might have more occasion to consider that in that particular crime context as opposed to more spontaneous crimes. Like, I think think DV is... It might, often, it might be spontaneous sometimes, but I think in the context of ongoing relationships, mm. it's not really spontaneous. It's kind of a pattern mm. in the relationship, right? As in, in the moment, there might be some spontaneity or lack of foresight or lack of sort of clear thinking about the behavior. But the relationship dynamic is a constant, I think. Yeah. So I yeah. just wonder where maybe deterrence has a slightly different field of operation there. Mm. And if you've engaged in that type of behaviour and the relationship's ongoing, then you have some time so on to notice reflect. to kind yeah. of think about how you're mm. going to behave in the future. Mm. Just on your way out, don't forget to check out our merchandise page uh, via Facebook. Check out the website there, diamantina.com forward slash the wigs. And if you want to drop us a line, do it on Twitter. That's the best way to find us, to get in contact with us, to get our attention. Thanks for listening. Please like The Wigs on Facebook at The Wigs Podcast. Don't forget to rate and review on iTunes. This podcast was brought to you by Minimal Productions, produced by Jim Mintz.